New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Soccer Show and our Champions League review. Liverpool can no longer be sold by FSG as they're owned by Real Madrid now, you see. <laughs> the Reds will be left wondering what could have been if only games ended in minute 14. Los Blancos are the holders and all signs look vital, but it might be Napoli who take this season's title. The Italians' form can't be topped and Eintracht Frankfurt couldn't figure out how they could be stopped. Man City's trip to Germany wasn't quite as good, and without KBD, Pep tinkered under the hood. With a striker like Haaland, it would be quite nice if the other players passed to him, just once or twice. And Serie A sides enjoyed a clean sweep as Inter Milan made Porto's task steep. Lukaku got the goal to keep Inter on track, and with form like that, maybe Chelsea will want him back. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who's reporting from inside his remote podcast box, Taylor Rockwell. Squarey, hello to you. Uh, hello to you in a square form as well. Uh, yeah, I, I need to come up with a better branding if I'm going to make this thing official. But yeah, uh, I got tired of having to hang bed sheets and sort of like figure out makeshift ways to make audio sound better. Hopefully this works and then I have something that is easy so that I can record from home and not have to drive into the office, because who wants to go to the office? Not me, says I. Right, right. You're very much um, the building stuff renaissance, man, Taylor. We've noticed on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show, that you've basically built an entire backyard with waterways and bridges <laughs> and um, mini communities and whatnot. And now you've built a box in which yeah. you can place a microphone and a beer. Kudos to you. I mean, what more do you need? I guess, uh, I guess, some sort of uh, spill protection, as Graham has has demonstrated this week. Oh, yeah. So that's the yeah. next one. As I said, a cup holder comes next into the recording spi- space. It looked like on your Instagram post, Taylor, it was a beer you were drinking. As long as it's not green tea, then you, you're good to go. That's my understanding <laughs> of how the physics work of that. So, all right, worry. cool. All right, in that case, I will go ahead and spill this water right on top of the laptop. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Pour away. Joining us, Taylor, a man who's ready to wax lyrical about Real Madrid's superiority, Joe Lowry. Good day to you, sir. Good day to you, Ryan. First of all, I'm glad you're back. I hope you enjoyed your time. Oh. I know you did. We talked about it before we started recording because we are friends. But, you know, for the sake of the audience, I hope you had a good time in Paris, Ryan. What was like, what was the best thing? And no, you cannot say Hard Rock Cafe. Uh, the best thing was the last day we spent at Disneyland Paris, knowing it was the last day at Disneyland Paris for me. Ah, <laughs> so you, you, were, you were ready to get out of there, huh? I was ready. I was okay. ready. I think um, like half a day is my limit for Disneyland. Um, I'm a bit grouchy when it comes to um, standing in line for many hours to go on a one minute long ride, Joe. But it was a very nice trip. Thank you for asking. I went, we went into Paris, into the city, where the highlight was seeing um, the bridge from Inception which I'm sure mm. you're very familiar with, Joe. It's yes. next to the Eiffel Tower, but that was the main <laughs> architectural splendor that I was uh, interested in. By the way, Joe, would you like to know how the Roonies are preparing for the Major League Soccer season coming up this weekend? Would you like to know? I, I would love to know. Uh, I'll tell you because uh, in the Lion King show at Disneyland Paris yesterday, we were sitting behind no. Colleen Rooney. No, and you children. were not. No we sure way. were. <laughs> how does... All of this happened to you and you only, Ryan. I do not understand. That is absolutely unreal. I feel like that's that's somewhat sort of kind of breaking news here on, on TSS. I know Wayne Rooney wasn't there because they no. I don't think they, they live in the same place ever at this point. He was so in the plea. It's yeah, he was he was Simba is what it was. That he is Ryan, that's truly wild. Yeah. Yeah. Right, um it's it's interesting. Um when when you are rich or elite or famous at Disney, you can hire like a guy, a, t- a tour guide who I think it costs like five grand a day or something insane. I think I looked it up uh, a few years back, but they basically 
chaperone you around the park and uh, get you first onto every ride you want to go on. And uh, Colleen Rooney and uh, Rooney Children had one of those with them, which was yep. nice. So yeah, must be nice. Not so that's, that's your that's your goal for next Disneyland Paris trip is to to get those people so you don't have to wait in the lines anymore. Then you won't be grouchy. Maybe you can make it a whole day. Or if I become one of those people, Joe, oh. then I can go on the rides all day long. Ryan, my question uh, becomes and has been, uh, I don't know how long the Lion King show actually is, but what percentage of that show did you spend trying to work out a Rebecca Vardy joke? Yeah, I was trying to yeah to do some detective work, Taylor, a little bit of finding out, you know, why they were there, et cetera, and yeah. so on. Bet you're glad it's not Rebecca Vardy behind you, huh? Yeah. huh? And then she just stares at you blankly and slowly turns back around. Yeah, and I also, Taylor, hope that the Roonies have left Disneyland now so I haven't broadcast their whereabouts on a <laughs> podcast around the world. Anyway, uh, joining us, gents, uh, a man we uh, we love very much. He's been writing about El Trafico. Graham Ruthven, hello. Hello, Ryan Bailey. Are you excited for MLS? I, I would imagine you are, given that MLS is now in bed with Apple and this is now mm. the catalyst for you to become <laughs> as big a, an MLS stan as Joe is. You're just going to consume all the MLS matches this weekend because now they're on Apple TV. Oh, I signed up for Apple TV just this morning, Graham Rutherford. Yeah. I'm very, very excited about it. A lot of preview content on there already I've been checking out. And yeah, as you say, a confluence of my two favorite things, the so- three favorite things, the Sockers, the Americas, and the Apples all coming together. Wonderful. Yeah, I, I know that you signed up for Apple TV today because you excitedly messaged me earlier, earlier <laughs> saying, have you signed up for MLS on uh, Apple TV yet? And uh, so, yes. What is your review? Does it look good? Yeah, of course it does. Apple. Oh, sure. Stupid question. There's no other way. There's no other way, Graham. Um, very good stuff. Actually, on the big thing this week, coming to your feed later, listener, we will be talking about the Apple TV deal and much more around Major League Soccer. So do stick around on the feed for that. But today, we're going to be talking about the Champions League, uh, the conclusion of the round of 16 matches from uh, the first leg. Before we get there, we do have to... Um, Pay credence to a legend of the game who passed away this Thursday, as we recall. John Motson, the commentator John Motson, died aged 77. A legend of soccer broadcasting. He covered 10 World Cups, 10 European Championships, more than 2,500 games covered. Graham, I mean, um, international listeners will know him from like commenting on the FIFA games. And you, if you've heard basically some British soccer at some point, you've yeah. heard John Motson's voice. He's a legend. But this one hit pretty hard. I, I, as someone I've grown up listening to, um, uh, commentating on the game, to feel that he's no longer here, it, it's very sad. Yeah, he he was the voice of of, of soccer, of football for for a generation. Um, I was probably at the back end of that generation, but he was still a, an icon for for me, very much the the voice of of English football, certainly and. Great moments in football uh, history, for me anyway, are always synonymous with the great commentary that, that goes with it. And John Motson provided a wonderful soundtrack to so many great moments. One moment in particular, Ryan, that you may, might be able to to speak to, the, the Wimbledon, the famous Wimbledon Cup final. What was the famous line again? The, the crazy gang the crazy gang has beaten the culture club? Something like that? Was, was that the line? That is exactly the line, Graham, and it still brings a little tear to my eye when you mention it there, and it did, it did before today and yeah wonderful wonderful stuff he, he's had so many iconic moments including that and many many others he will be missed indeed and if you look around twitter you look around various social platforms you'll see people who've worked with him giving some very wonderful stories about what a great no one has a bad word to say about john motson that's for sure uh, rest in peace john motson age 77 passed away today Let's move on to the Champions League. Liverpool 2, Real Madrid 5. Real Madrid were two goals down after 14 minutes uh, at Anfield. Liverpool coming out the blocks with quite a lot of intensity in this one, Taylor. Um, Had had the Spanish team on the ropes. And then, as Jurgen Klopp described, they had five giveaway goals that they gave away. It seemed like uh, things changed for them after the first quarter of an hour of this game. So my opening question for you, Taylor, what on earth happened in this game that made Liverpool concede? And was it inevitable that Real Madrid were always going to come back? Uh, Yes, I think it was, as silly as that may sound. I think uh, a lot of that belief comes from a very good piece by Michael Cox, where he breaks down some of the issues Liverpool had in this game. And basically just that they were 
almost suicidally in- intent on attacking with numbers and then playing in risky passes that left them vulnerable to counterattacks, especially the way Real Madrid set up on the counter to have uh, Vinny Jr. in isolation. He is quite, quite good when you give him time and space to operate. I thought Karim Benzema was also more mobile or just like faster than I remember him being. So I think in some ways Liverpool did exactly what they wanted to do, which was take the game to Real Madrid, make them uncomfortable, force those two goals. But then I think Madrid being Madrid kind of played their way through it, whether that a little bit started to get more of the ball. And I think Liverpool kind of kept going with that same mentality. I also think there were some unfavorable bounces. John Muller had a good piece about how many slips there were in this game. I, I was something I noticed as well. Lots of players losing their footing. I'm assuming everybody changed their boots at halftime. But but this was just a chaotic game from start to finish, even if by the finish it was also chaotic and very quiet in Anfield, except for the Olays from the visiting Real Madrid fans. I've seen, <clears throat> excuse me, I've seen a lot of the, the narrative around Liverpool and how they were still almost suicidally aggressive in this game after they've got the 2-0 lead. I, I hear that, and I think I agree with parts of it. The other piece of this, though, you look at the first three goals that Real Madrid score. So Liverpool go up 2-0, Real Madrid come back and, and get three goals by the 47th minute. It's Militao who puts them ahead on that on that set piece. But really, like how many of those moments came directly from Liverpool being open? The first goal, Real Madrid are in a, st- uh, are in a spell of possession. It's Vinicius Jr. in the 21st minute. And Vinny gets the ball on the left side of the box and, and scores a phenomenal goal. And at a certain point, you just got to say, all right, Vinny Jr. is going to do that. We've seen him do it a, a bajillion times in, in La Liga over the last couple of years. The second goal is the Allison Howler, right? It's it's the 26th minute for Vinicius Jr. It's Gomez back to Allison who boots it right into Vinny Jr. And Vinny scores. So, you know, that's that's not really Liverpool being exceptionally open. And then the third goal that I, I mentioned just a moment ago from Militao is a set piece. It's a Modric free kick. And it is a fantastic set piece. But, I mean... I guess I understand where Michael's going and Taylor, I guess I understand where you're going there. It just didn't really feel to me like Liverpool's approach had like a a real detrimental impact on their result in this game or on on those three goals, certainly. I don't know. It just doesn't it doesn't quite all fit together for me. I think two things for me. One would be, I know that you've stopped at those three, but the final two goals from Madrid, I, I, I think just straight up come from Liverpool giving but it, it's, them the ball. But it's done at that point attacking. though, right? Like it's already, the well, script has already been yes. flipped. But I think there is a part there where you can see Real Madrid or uh, Liverpool continuing with that style. And I mean, I think there's a reason for it. You've got to try You're to losing. get back into the game. You're not going to sit <laughs> deep and then try to get a goal from that. But at the same time, I think you could see in those first three goals moments when Liverpool are out of position, not where they need to be. And so you have people scrambling. And I think sometimes when you're scrambling, it can look like frenetic defending when you're diving in. But I think it can also look like I'm trying to do damage control. I'm trying to slow things down to allow people get back into shape. And that is where I think that opening goal from Vinicius Jr. comes from. It's it's Liverpool's diffusion of responsibility. They have people, but maybe not in areas where they're entirely comfortable. And so you don't have that sort of aggressive winning of the ball hunting in packs. You have a pack around Vinny Jr. that sort of all stand off. And I think some of that has to do with them trying to fly back into position as quickly as they can. And those goals... Again, Joe, I think you're right to say like none of the goals specifically come from turnovers, but there are plenty of moments in this game where it is Liverpool with both fullbacks committed forward, and then Vinicius Jr. gets the ball, and now they've got to, Liverpool have to try to find somebody to get back. I think one time on a breakaway, he loses his footing and goes to ground, so I guess the turf did its job there. But I think it's more for me about how Liverpool sort of were at 100% uh, or 101% energy to start this game, but then stayed that way. But I think when you have that level of energy, but also just a little bit of creeping panic, I think that energy can become a little bit self-defeating. If I had to take an overview of what happened here, and obviously there's some differences between the different game states and what went, what um, you know phase the game is in, in terms of the scoreline, but Liverpool seem to be fine when they can drive the pace right up and squeeze the pitch right up. But whenever they drop off from that, they are just so open and, and Real Madrid exploited that. And they just don't seem to be, Liverpool I'm talking about here, they just don't seem to be able to maintain uh, like a sound defensive structure whenever they are building an attack and that just leaves them so vulnerable on on, on the break and obviously this was a nightmare opponent to face when you when Liverpool are currently like that where Real Madrid just repeatedly make teams pay in quick transition and, and counter-pressing uh, moments 
And that's kind of how I just saw the game. Yes, I agree with you, Taylor. Once you get to 3-2, maybe a little bit more pragmatism from Liverpool would have kept them in the tie because I think this tie is over for them now at 5-2. Going back to the Bernabeu, I don't think they're pulling that back. If you're going back to the Bernabeu and it's 3-2, then then maybe there's a chance, certainly with Real Madrid's vulnerabilities as well. This one, this one was a weird one for me. I kind of struggled to, to square it in my mind because, yes, getting thumped 5-2 at home in the Champions League is, is far from ideal. But even after this match... I still feel like uh, <laughs> I still feel like Liverpool are uh, yeah may- maybe uh, stating the obvious right there, there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> stating the obvious a little bit. But, um, <laughs> I I still feel like Liverpool are in a better place now than they were a few weeks ago. Um, and as I say, I know that some listeners maybe won't get that because th- I think this was the first time Liverpool have conceded five goals at home in a Champions League match ever. Um, but even in the way that Liverpool conceded those 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 five goals, I kind of see, or certainly the last two ones, I, I kind of see more of an identity in a, in a weird way. So at the, at, at the moment, it's kind of, a, for Liverpool, it's a little bit live by the sword, die by the sword. And I said on the weekend review that they're playing this counter-attacking style, and they did that again here at, at times, and maybe a little bit too extreme at points. But the flip side of that is that they themselves are vulnerable to moments of quick transition. As I say, that's where Real Madrid essentially beat Real Madrid. And I think that is a better scenario for Liverpool than a few weeks ago when I looked at how they were playing and I just couldn't see any identity or any framework at all. And yes, there's vulnerabilities in this framework, clearly, as demonstrated by this match. But I would rather have some idea of what the framework is than just having no clue at all. Yeah, Liverpool are... Liverpool are in a better place, Graham. Sorry, Ryan. Just because now they're out of the Champions League and they can focus on the Premier League. <laughs> don't get me wrong. Sorry, Ryan. I'll, I'll let you go in a second here. Um, don't get me wrong. Like This is a, a horrible result for Liverpool. I'm not trying to say until I wasn't trying to respond to you with like, oh, Liverpool actually played great in this game. They should have won, blah, blah, blah. I don't, no, I don't really believe you any were. of that. It's but, pretty like, I, I think I think a lot of the Liverpool were awful in this game was overblown. But the result, in, in some way... I think actually does help them because I, I think none of us really believe this team is is capable of winning the Champions League at this point. Honestly, I think you might as well just cut your losses and try to climb back up into the top five and hope that something else happens that maybe you sneak into that Champions League spot or top four, I guess, and you get into one of those before the end of the Premier League season. I see. I seem to remember years ago, there was a Brendan Rodgers Liverpool team that went to the Bernabeu and I think they, they were either out of the Champions League or they had no chance, they had a load of injuries, and there was like no pressure on them at all. And they ended up playing quite well, I seem to remember. So, Graham, you mentioned this tie is over. I mean, it's not like Carlo Ancelotti has any form for facing Liverpool with a three-goal deficit, or three-goal lead, I should say. <laughs> has he Has he got anything? Is there any record of that happening well, in the past? Maybe if, maybe if uh, Jurgen Klopp can, Klopp can kind of rake, rake up the, the, the ghost of Istanbul, mm. maybe Liverpool are, 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 are going to come back into this tie. But what I, I mean is I don't see it being like a blowout again for Real Madrid. I see this being as a more competitive, maybe bringing the aggregate a little closer. Potentially, potentially. It's just they've given themselves so much work to do to win by three. Yeah. Well, they need to win by four clear goals, don't they? Because away goals isn't a, isn't a thing. In there. And even away goals, actually, Real Madrid have just scored five, so that wouldn't yeah. help them either. So they need to win by four clear, clear goals in the Bernabeu, which is, which is difficult. <laughs> and look, as I said, at the moment, Liverpool are sort of, uh, the term I used was living by the sword, dying by the sword. So... I guess there's a chance that they, you know, they could, they could be, they could outperform their XG and they could create the opportunities and score four goals and Real Madrid have a bad night in front of goal. I guess that's a possibility. They do have the quality in their team. They do have Salah. They do have Darwin Nunes. They do have those sort of players. But it just seems very unlikely. I think, I think for me, Graham, I, I agree with with the the sentiment of I think like I feel more comfortable with like understanding what this Liverpool team is because it's a team that's still going to work and do everything they can to fulfill Klopp's uh, plan and the way he wants them to play. It's just a team that has been doing that for so long. I know it's the, the common narrative, but there's a reason for that. It's a team that's been doing it so long without the significant reinforcement you need and, and the ability to rotate squad and then the injuries that, I mean, they just looked... Once this game got back to two to one, it felt like oh Madrid are going to get one more. I didn't see it being a Allison like pass into Vinny Junior that like insultingly bounces into the goal. But for me, this just sort of laid bare that if you want to keep Jurgen Klopp, if you're FSG, <laughs> you're going to have to back him, or you're going to have to really aggressively go about selling the team to somebody who will be able to back him because it's a team that. I mean, he's playing, look at Real Madrid's midfield for a moment, and it's Eduardo Camavinga, who's very young, but 
they spent a ton of money on to bring in, and he showed his quality in this game, I felt. Then you've got Luka Modric and Fede Valverde. For Liverpool, you've got Fabinho and Jordan Henderson back in their sort of favorite positions, but then you've got uh, Bajetic on the other side, who's a youngster who's like doesn't have a ton of minutes, certainly not in the Champions League, and I think you can see just right there that there isn't that quality to the Liverpool midfield that, that is needed, that can make that difference, and I think the back line looked tired, and I think... What I come away from is that this sort of laid bare the problems at Liverpool very plainly. And there have been scenarios in the past where managers are able to get results out of their team, like sort of that aren't really in keeping with the quality of the squad. It's a uh, Jose Mourinho getting second with Manchester United is a prime example of that. And then ownership can come away thinking, well, I mean, you know, things can't be that bad if we got this result. I feel like this kind of shows pretty clearly what the situation is. Luka Modric made this Liverpool midfield. You say they, they looked old, Taylor. <laughs> Luka Modric is 37. He's 48. Uh, so by Let's that be real. measure, he's 48 years Luka, old. Yeah, Luka Modric <laughs> made uh, Jordan Henderson and Fabinho look <laughs> at least 50, mm. I would say, uh, because he was, again, just absolutely sensational in this game. In yep. particular, his uh, the way he sort of burst through the middle for, I think it's the fifth goal of the game, Benzema's second, where. He lays it off to, uh, I can't remember who sets it up for Benzema. Is it Valverde that's running alongside him? And then the pass comes into Benzema. It's the one where he checks back and Alisson, you know, loses uh, uh, his, yeah. his footing a little bit. That's the one where there are a load of headless chickens in red shirts running around in the <laughs> yeah. box uh, when it yeah. went in. Well, it's Luka Modric that cut their heads off with that burst through the middle of, of, of the pitch. And as I say, just the fact that you've got a 37-year-old, I, I know he's maybe the most timeless footballer of all time at, at, at this point, which seems to be getting better, not any worse with, with age. But nonetheless, to have a 37-year-old bursting yeah. through your central midfield like that, was a little, uh, it wasn't great. It was a little bit embarrassing. I mean, and he starts that one, as you said, Graham. He, he's heavily involved in the fourth goal. Uh, Bajetic gives the ball away uh, to Modric, and then that launches the counter from there. Uh, but even the third goal that Joe talked about a little bit, the Militao header, uh, it's Modric playing that ball in. Enter, and enter. that, for me, is definitive master set-piece theater from Real Madrid because I think they know, I'm assuming they have watched enough footage of Liverpool to know that Liverpool are going to set up on the six-yard box in a zone and they're going to attack the ball when it comes into their zone. And so Militao just goes to the back post and then... I, I kept waiting for it to be this, like, a screen or some sort of, like, really clever run. He just sort of drifts to the middle and is <laughs> wide open because they know that Liverpool are going to sit in that zone. So if he gets that little bit of space and separation, Modric just pings it at his face. If it hits him, it's probably going to go in, and that's exactly how that went down. Credit to Militao for putting the header on frame. C- credit to Modric for playing that ball in. But mostly, I think, credit to the Real Madrid video staff who spotlighted, oh, we can score a goal from here if we get a ball in this spot, and that's what they did. <laughs> Yeah, maybe we had a Real Madrid-Liverpool analyst fight in this game, like we had, uh, like we talked about on the weekend review. Maybe <laughs> that happened here. I, Taylor, I totally agree. That set piece was phenomenal. It, it's not just the line for Liverpool across the six-yard box. I think they've got like seven or eight players in a in a vertical line yeah. across, or I guess like across the six-yard box. They also have one player above them, so it's like a seven or a seven-one or an eight-one shape for Liverpool in the box. And so Militao, I think there's some movement that goes from more the, the, the strong side of the box back to the weak side towards the back post. And then Militao just cuts across and cuts in front of that single defender. Real Madrid knew, okay, hey, there's, there's going to be space in this area, not right next to the goal, but you know, about eight yards out from that space. And we're going to put our, our best set-piece threat in that spot right at the right time. And the execution's perfect. The ball in is perfect. The movement is perfect. The header is perfect. It is, it's a really good goal. Joe, to, to play devil's advocate, are we giving Real Madrid too much credit for that goal? Because from watching it back a few times, the Liverpool defence just didn't move. Yeah, like should, you, should you, you say, like the, the Liverpool was set up to attack the ball. They, they it, it looked like they didn't yeah. know the ball was coming. No, in. T- Taylor, Taylor said that for the the um the, this is the zonal marking stuff, though, right? Like this is the same argument that everybody's been having about zonal marking versus man marking. The downside for zonal marking is that you look like a fool as a team when goals like this happen. The downside of man marking is that you, as an individual, look like a fool when you get beat. So yeah. I think they're just <laughs> banking on Militao not arriving at the perfect time to overload their one player higher up. They're protecting the closer area to goal. I'm not saying it was good execution from Liverpool, but I mean, I don't know that this is like an indictment necessarily of their structure. Mm. Maybe it is, and I just don't know it. But, but the zonal marking thing, and I'm not necessarily saying, Joe, that you're making this point, but is this not just proof that zonal marking also doesn't work if nobody's taking responsibility? That's- I mean, that, that's, that's what should have happened in that moment, right? If that's how they're set up, someone 
within that line, at least one player within that line needs to take responsibility and kind of step out of the line. And and nobody does that at all. So it's not really a, fo- a failing of zonal marking. It's bad execution of zonal marking, mm. I would say. Lee Dixon wouldn't be happy, Graham. He wouldn't like that. <laughs> he never is. <laughs> uh, why don't we take a quick break? Well, I don't think we're quite done with this game, but we need to take a quick break. When we come back a little bit more, perhaps a bit, a bit more credit to uh, be poured on Real Madrid. Back shortly. New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match this offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Dealer. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Taylor, I did enjoy this quote from Carlo Ancelotti. You mentioned sort of the, the mixture of youth and uh, experience in this team. He said, uh, we never lost control. It's the mental quality of these team, of these players. The veterans are there to teach the young ones calm and quiet. And it was, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a cliche to say, but you had the, the Benzemas and the Modrics sort of bringing that, that pausa, that calm to the team and the technique and the composure and everything else they brought and, you know, Modric bursting through the middle and outrunning people half his age as well. But then the youngsters in the side as well, bringing mm. the energy, bringing the pace. It just seems like a, a superb combo they've got going on there. And once again, we need to credit Real Madrid for being absolutely built for this contest and being a side who we should be feared by everyone. I suppose. I suppose we <laughs> must. Um, I, I would say I would also give credit to the man who made those comments, uh, Carlo Ancelotti. I think there's something to be said for a person. He is still retiring, right? Or is he taking over Brazil? I forget where we are now with him. Uh, yes. I don't think anything has been confirmed yet, but... He just does what he wants. Yeah, well, that, exactly. There does seem to be an air about him of like, I'm Carlo Ancelotti, whatever. If we lose this game, like, we'll figure it out. What are you going to do, fire me? Okay, well, then someone else is going to employ me. It will be fine. And I think with that comes an air of calm. There is just a a calmness to him on the sideline. And by all accounts, he makes adjustments when they are 2-0 down that, like, like very not angry, not furious by the way this has gone, not berating his goalkeeper for a very strange howler of a moment, and instead just makes little adjustments to get uh, Vinicius Jr. in space and isolated in space, to get Green Benzema more, more involved, to get Luka Modric more time on the ball, and those adjustments pay off, but then there's a faith in that team for their that their coach is going to figure it out, but also that they then have the personnel to execute and make it happen. And with Vinny Jr., there is just... Belief. There is just immense self-belief in moments when it seems like he's run into a blind alley and then suddenly he finds his way out and not only finds his way out but scores a goal. I think he's one of the most unplayable players on the planet right now. I think maybe maybe the most based on form. When we did our fantasy draft of any player in the world onto our teams, I think Joe landed Vinicius Jr. And I got to say, Joe, that was a, a pretty smart pick by you, my friend. Joe is nodding comfortably in his uh, recording space. He's he's just unreal. Like that. that- yeah. Yeah. First goal is so good on the on the left side of the box. How he manages to open up, how he hits the ball with his right foot. I mean, he was almost a constant threat in this game. For me, Vinny Jr. and maybe Chucky Lozano were the two best performances of, of this particular week. We'll talk about Napoli yeah. in, in just a minute or two. But like 
man, he is he is electric, and I, I'm just generally encouraged for Vinicius Jr. I don't have anything, you know, any any real ties to him, but all of the garbage that he's dealt with in Spain, all of that stuff, and and outside of like the the racism that he's having to deal with or, or has for a while and still is, you know, his his first spell at the club, like his first stretch of time there, was not good, right? I mean, there were talks about him being a bust and all these things. And I, I just am happy for him that he is excelling at this level and, and really is a match winner in the biggest club competition in the world. Indeed. Uh, not a great night for goalkeepers, this one. Not a great night for Joe Gomez and a few of the Liverpool defenders, but certainly a very good night for Real Madrid and their stock will be very much up after this one. Courtois was worse, right? Like, they were both bad, but I no, feel like... No, I disagree. Really? I think the Allison one's worse, yeah. What, why They're do you both say that? hilarious is what they are. They're True. both because I think, epic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This truly was the Loris Carius derby, uh, truly. <laughs> but the, the, at least the Courtois one, Carvajal plays some sort of part with a pretty shaky back pass to him where he has to, like, bring it down out of the, out of the air, and that's just not Courtois' game at all. And there is a bit of pressure from Salah, um, whereas Allison, it feels like the back pass is decent. He has time and options on either side, and then just passes it straight into uh, who is it actually? Benzema? Is that a Benzema goal? I can't remember who. The, it was Vinicius it, Junior. Vinicius uh, Junior. The, I think I think Courtois is the more like oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm flying through the air right now. For yeah. me, it, it's a little bit more like you can see the pain and you can you have the moment to see the car crash coming with. The Liverpool one, the Liverpool uh, not own goal, but the howler. It is, uh, I think it's it's Joe Gomez passing it back, and it's very telegraphed, which is why I think Vinicius Junior is already onto it before the pass has even been passed. And then I think Allison really choreographs or clearly telegraphs where he is going to pass that ball. So yeah, maybe Courtois was more like painful because of it's how funnier. kind of long it seemed to be. But the Liverpool one is probably worse. Well said. Yeah. Right? It, it, the Courtois one is funnier. You look at the replay. I don't know if any, if anyone saw the slowed down replay of him from Salah's angle, and you're just like, "Wow, Thibaut Courtois' legs are yeah. so long, and that is why he's got them mixed up there." But yeah, it was it funnier. Is... I think the Alison Becker one is worse, though. Uh, fair. I, I think the Courtois one also stands out to me because there is a. This is like I. I it's I don't know. It's not masochistic. I don't know what it is, but it's watching a player realize they're making a mistake in ultra slow motion is is just a fascinating moment because Courtois is just the picture of calm and composure as he gets the ball you can see that little like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna do something here and then as he has that face it just banks off his knee and you can just see the slow motion like oh no (laughs) and then the poke goal for for Salah Oh, it was it was a hilarious moment. This game was ridiculous. I compared it, I think, in the notes to a Rocky movie boxing match where it's just a heavyweight fight where they are just throwing haymakers at each other. This game was all over the place from start to finish. I loved every single minute of it, even if Liverpool fans, I'm going to assume, did not. Yeah, a very entertaining game for sure. Liverpool's sixth defeat in seven against Madrid. Uh, not the biggest of those defeats this last one, maybe the biggest in scoreline, but there have been some other fairly significant ones in the recent past between these two sides. Uh, uh, Loris Karius, by the way, coming back to our screens this weekend in the League Cup final. That'd be fun with Newcastle United. Um, mm. he, he, I didn't Good realize- time for him to exercise that ghost. I imagine he was just sitting at home like some sort of, like possessed as some sort of spirit left his body ahead of the <laughs> Caribbean Cup final. Yeah. It's just a goalkeeper's union, and they're all trying to like make high-profile mistakes in solidarity so he feels more comfortable coming back. <laughs> That's what I'm assuming happened. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. And I didn't realize Lois Karras, he spends a lot of his time out here and not in Newcastle because his partner is uh, Diletta Liotta, who is uh, one of the more famous uh, Italian sports broadcasters. Mm. Interesting stuff. Is it? Um, is it interesting I, stuff? I mean, it's, it's, as well. I find it interesting when you're contracted by a club to not generally be in the same country. As ah, club, I, see. I suppose. Well, at least he's um, got a, a maniac-looking dog to keep him company. Have you seen that photo of him and his dog where it's got crazy eyes? I was going to say, many looking. Yeah, okay, I'm not going to go there. Anyway, Eintracht Frankfurt nil, Napoli two. Uh, Victor Osman and uh, Lorenzo with the goals here. Osman's 20th goal of the season. Frankfurt finishing this game with uh, 10 men for uh, Kalamwani, seeing uh, red for a pretty bad challenge in this one. Uh, Kivero Kuchkelia also had a penalty saved. Uh, was it him with the ridiculous back heel assist as well? I think it was yes, him. It was. Yeah. Oh, Taylor, how about that guy? Yeah, he's not bad. He's not bad, yeah, especially yeah. when you remember that he misses a penalty in this one. It, it, like, there are so many moments in which that can be 
sort of a momentum killer for the player. Uh, and I would say credit to Victor Osiman, who comes over immediately and I think grabs him about the face and picks him back up and gets him back into this game. Uh, but I love that he he has that moment, he has that assist. I also enjoyed watching him in every other goal, and he celebrates so hard every single time Napoli score that there is definitely an element of like, yay, I'm let off the hook. I won't be the villain if we don't win this game. But I think there's also just a, a, a selflessness to that, that you're just so excited that your team is winning that you don't care that you missed a penalty. And I think there are other players in the world who would still be frustrated that they didn't get the goal, that they didn't get the credit, that they didn't get the glory. Uh, it makes me like him all the more. Even with uh, Frankfurt like players standing on either side of him talking as he like basically back up to take the penalty some gamesmanship from them that seemed to pay off a great save from Kevin Trapp as well but ultimately it doesn't matter because Napoli they good it turns out they good indeed Joe they good indeed I mean Osman and Kvartskele obviously are two players we talk about quite a lot but how about the third member of that front three Mr. Lozano having a quite a night yeah Lozano for me is the player in that front three that hands down makes Napoli the best team like like he is incredibly talented we've seen it for stretches before with Napoli Graham, you put in our share doc that you think this is the best you've seen of him this year. Is that right? I, I'm not looking at it right now. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's, that's what you said. It, it might be the best I've seen of I've seen of him. Period. To be honest. Yeah, he was he was sensational in this game. Brilliant. Runs in behind. He's got that shot off the bar that leads to the penalty kick. He's got the assist to Osimhen. Other key passes. Just direct and relentless running, which is what Napoli needed in this game. This was. This was a difficult match for them, even though it it felt like they won this one relatively handily because they didn't give Frankfurt much in the way of chances. But let's not forget, Napoli didn't really create very much at the beginning of this game. They struggled, I think, to break through Frankfurt, who were back in a 5-4-1. Napoli didn't really have any space to play into. Frankfurt really congested the midfield with that narrow line of four in front of their back five, which made it difficult for Angisa to get on the ball. It made it difficult for Zielinski to get on the ball. And those are players that really, they're unsung heroes for Napoli this season, but they drive this team because of how skilled they are in those central areas. Frankfurt said, no, you you can't come into these spaces. So it took Napoli a while to figure it out, but they started playing direct, more over the top. They started finding Lozano in those moments on the right side, high and wide. They started even you know trying to make the game more of a transition battle, which is not something we've seen a lot from Napoli this season in Serie A or the Champions League. They started to try to really create those transition moments so that they could attack in space and manufacture it that way instead of manufacturing it by, you know, playing these really intricate passing sequences through a compact block. And for me, Lozano was probably the key piece of that game plan from Spalletti. I thought it was good a good bit of adjustment from them to find the solutions as the game went on. And Lozano, yeah, like I said, just just really, really good in this match. Yeah. Joe, to echo what you're talking about, uh, Lozano's movement is the thing that stood out to me. So as you said, he is the one where he clangs it off the post and then Osiman goes to get it, gets uh, cleared out, and that's where the penalty comes from. But in that one, it's really, really great uh, choreography. I used that word incorrectly before. Now I think I'm using it correctly uh, because Osimhen makes a run. It's sort of like as that ball comes in for Lozano, Osimhen makes a run further wide. The defenders go with him and Lozano goes inside instead of outside. Uh, Philip Max, the Frankfurt left wing back, thinks I think he's going to make an, a run to the outside and he cheats that way just as Lozano goes inside and that's why there's that huge gap. So then on the uh, the play for the goal, Philip Max tries to do the opposite and thinks, ha ha, I I know your game now. I'll stay inside. And then Lozano completely dusts him for for pace down the line. So that's just good sort of situational awareness. But the thing that I thought was so impressive about this, and it's it's like a little thing, it's a basic thing, but it's it's doing the basic things expertly is what makes you next level as a footballer. And Lozano has the speed and the control to kind of carry that ball down the line. It's when he has that touch inside I think is such an important one because you can see the play developing. Then he has that one final touch where he plays the ball for himself into the box. And it's a perfect angle where he could shoot. And so the defenders uh, and the goalkeeper have to kind of be aware of that, but they can't really close him down, but they can't really leave their mark. And so they're just sort of left in this in-between state. And it's that touch for me. And then the brilliance of that delivery for the cross for the Osimhen goal that he, I think, hits onto his own foot and then it goes in. It's that good of a cross that basically anybody being there would have put it in the goal. It's Osimhen, not surprisingly, but that whole sequence was just so good from Chuck Lozano. Uh, I loved his performance in this this game. Taylor, hear me out. Napoli yeah. are Chick-fil-A drive-thru. 
because they say my pleasure after they score? What do you mean? <laughs> I just mean that what, if you go to Chick Fil A drive through, it's super well organized. Because they're you all teenagers. The, te- the <laughs> yeah. teenagers there with the iPad takes your order. They take uh, another one takes your payment. Uh-huh. You go through to the windows. Everything's super quick. My understanding is that um, Chick Fil A, the U.S. government consulted Chick Fil A doing the COVID. Um, uh, the the inoculations the 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 lines that's kind of true. This I, I believe that is true because they are so. Yeah, I'm sure you believe it's true. Through a <laughs> Does that say more about Chick Fil A or the U.S. government? Yes. Uh, <laughs> however you want to read that, I read that as a positive for Chick Fil A. But what I mean, Taylor, is they are this team is so good, they're so cohesive, and everybody in this team understands their roles. They are very very well organized. They do the simple things well. They do the hard things well. And like Chick Fil A drive through, it's a massive win at the end. This has to be the most insane analogy we've ever had on this I show. I mean, <laughs> you could have gone, like, military if you wanted to. Credit to you for not going military analogy. I mean, I love you it. You could have gone, like, a synchronized swimming team. Really so many, a well-organized, like, organized, like operating room. No, Ryan has gone for Chick-fil-A. That's the most on-brand thing I can possibly think of. Ryan, well done to you, my friend. Uh, I hope it was your pleasure. Um, do, I, I, you, you haven't agreed with my analogy yet? <laughs> So when I you mean, see the second Nap- Napoli-, Napoli goal, Ryan, that's that's a sort of Chick-fil-A goal, is it? Where like everything is just in sync, everyone knows what they're doing, it's all very smooth, and at the end you get a satisfactory outcome and a good chicken sandwich. Exactly that, exactly that. Everyone's happy, everyone with a smile on their face at the end. I, I just meant in terms of the functionality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every, you, everything goes how you expect it to go. Everybody understands their roles in the team. I suppose that was what I was getting at. Like Chick-fil-A feels like things are so well organised and the pieces are moved so well all that... Right. You know what I'm saying? Tony? I know. I know what you're saying. Here is why I, I don't. I can't agree with you. It's because my truth. I find that creepy. I find Chick Fil A unsettling. <laughs> I'm like, go inside. You all shouldn't be out here. Why are you in a hundred degree weather in your vests, teenagers who are way too pleasant? I, I need a little bit of edge to my fast food service. I guess is what I'm saying. So I think Napoli have more edge. They have that more like. I guess they're the the angsty yeah. Chick Fil A people who don't really want to be there, but they will be there and they will. I guess do things well even if they don't want hearing, to be doing yeah, it. hearing the hearing the phrase i need a little edge to my fast food service is <laughs> yeah, not man. what yeah. i i thought i was gonna <laughs> experience today this is Look, this is really there's no service. chance you are enjoying doing fast food service so the idea that i have to believe that you are i cannot yeah. get my head around that it That's makes fair. it's like it's it's cultish vibes it's cultish vibes if i'm being honest <laughs> yeah. who knew that the chick-fil-a rant was coming from me uh, by the way, uh, headline from uh, the internet: Chick Fil A owner advises city from on COVID nineteen vaccine line. City, um, city. That, what what city? Uh, a southern one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that headline that, from uh, that is that, America, right there. <laughs> headline came from Fox News as well. So cool, 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 ah. cool. Um, any, what what do we make of this, uh, Graham? In terms of Frankfurt's performance here, I saw I saw a good comment on the Guardian's um, match review, the below the line comments. It said Eintracht had a fast start, but Napoli were like a boa constrictor, squeezing Ooh. the life out of Frankfurt with an excellent performance. It did seem they they had something to offer, and like the, the atmosphere in the stadium seemed pretty amazing as well with the ultras Indeed. and everything they did. But they are not going to go through in this contest. You wouldn't think so. And Eintracht Frankfurt, they have a bit of a reputation as a knockout team, obviously demonstrated by how they won the Europa League last season. Uh, as you say, they started this this match well. It didn't help that they were reduced to 10 men when uh, Kolo Moane gets sent off. And maybe that's where the boa constrictor action comes in towards the end of this match, where Napoli just start to kind of suffocate them. And, and that's when they get their second goal. I, I love that Oliver Glesner, who is the, the Frankfurt manager, completely broke down the whole match with a with a post-match comment which you don't really get from many managers where he just kind of laid it all out in a tactical way so the direct quote is we tried to push up one of the three midfielders often uh, Henrique and sometimes uh, Lopez to give Deferl a hand the difficulty the difficulty they create for you is that they don't play out with a short passing game they go long and prepare preemptive strikes on the opposite side they then have the individual quality to win many duels we had to be good we had to be good both in the in the short and long you don't really hear many managers break down a match like that. And I also love that uh, Luciano Spalletti, who actually is one of the few managers who is able to do that, um, he said before the match that it felt like Christmas, the Champions League being back. He said, it's like when you leave some milk and biscuits out for Santa's reindeer for when they pass by. For, uh, for the reindeer? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, Santa doesn't get any milk in our house. He gets jumped out of a shoe. But still, I, I, I love uh, Spalletti and his wee tracksuit and his, and, and his comments like that. 
the, the world's greatest manager who has a pet duck. We can all. Um, <laughs> What's the agree. duck called again? I can't uh, remember. Snow White. That's no way. Yeah. He also did anyone anyone catch like he went like the Civil War amputee route when they scored their second goal? I don't know what he put in his mouth. I think it was a pen, but I, I was hoping it was one of those Maurizio Sarri like half cigarette things that he wasn't lighting. But as soon as they score, uh, he he bit down on something and then ran away to celebrate with the team. It, it was an odd moment for me, but I I do love Luciano Spalletti and it all a, of his um, weird glory. It was a chicken sandwich, Taylor. That could be. That could be. Yeah. That could well be. I, I do feel bad for Kolomoani. I don't think that should have been a red card. I understand why it was. The referee is right there. I think he can see the foot on top of the ankle. And, and so that's where it comes from. And I think once the red card is given, it can't really be overturned because VAR is only looking to see if there was that level of contact. And there was. But it's also the case that Kolomoani, I think, gets to the ball first. Very, very slightly, but gets there first, and Angisa's gone to ground, so the ball goes off of Angisa, and then I think that's why you see Kolomwani's toe go up, and that's where the kind of stamp comes in. But to me, there was no malicious intent there, so maybe it's reckless, maybe it's a yellow. I don't think it should have been a red card. I do think it, it had an impact on the game, though at that point, it did also feel like Napoli were well and truly in control. As Joe said, I think... Once the the five four one was was bypassed and Napoli found a way through, I think that was sort of Frankfurt's whole game plan. It was like they set up their defensive fortifications and then Napoli got through in like what was supposed to be the most well defended part. And suddenly, I think your game plan is kind of torn asunder. Indeed. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about the Wednesday evening games: a draw for Man City at Leipzig and Inter's victory over Porto. Back shortly. Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Indochino. MLS is back, which means MLS fits are back. We got to see FC Dallas's cowboy hat move from player to player, and Iramendi rocked that thing after their win recently over the San Jose Earthquakes. We're getting to see pregame fits. Another FC Dallas player, Nkosi Tafare, never disappoints. Will Trapp over in Minnesota has surprisingly good pregame fits for the Loons. Athletes love to have the right fit, and so do we. We love wearing our sports gear, but you can't wear a jersey all the time. Indochino makes fully customized suits that don't require a trip to the tailor to get that perfect fit. Indochino has high-quality suits that are designed to fit you. They're made to your exact measurements and customizations, endless customization options at that. This is custom clothing, folks, at a surprisingly affordable price. We're talking quality wools, linen, and cotton in different colors and patterns. Indochino.com is your one-stop shop for all of this stuff. The ordering process is easy. The site is super simple, clean, and easy to use to find suits, shirts, pants, blazers, outerwear, all of that good stuff over at Indochino.com. If you want to level up your game with Indochino, go to Indochino.com and use code ATHLETIC to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code ATHLETIC. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code ATHLETIC. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's turn our attention to Ebi Leipzig 1, Man City 1. Mr. Gvardiol cancelling out uh, Mr. Mahrez's strike in this one. A potential handball, uh, a controversial one in the dying seconds, not given City's way. Uh, this one in the inner draw. Um, Man City, Graham, had a draw, a 1-1 one -one draw with Nottingham Forest before this. They're now mm. five games without a clean sheet as well. Are the alarm bells going off at City? Um, not on the basis of this result, I think, I think given that it's a, a two-legged tie, they're still pretty well placed to get through into the quarterfinals, but they were in full control in, in, in the first half, they deserved to take the lead, they might have scored more than one um, at half time, everything was looking rosy and then the second half was just a completely different experience and um, Leipzig made changes or one change at half time, they, they, they bring on Henriques at, at right back, I think that's a smart change from Marco Rosa because it felt like they needed that athleticism on the right side that meant that Soboslai could could operate more centrally and have more influence on the game and that was certainly the case in the in the second half but it was also the case that 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 City became a bit more passive um, and between those two things the Leipzig improvement and then City being a bit more passive and standoffish the, the, the script kind of flipped and Pep didn't seem well. This, see, this is the thing with Pep Guardiola. Yeah. To me, he didn't seem very happy. He did the Phil Brown thing of giving the team talk on on the pitch yeah. uh, after the full time whistle. It wasn't clear what he was saying, but 
his body language seemed to be different from what his what his mouth was doing or saying if you're kind of lip reading his body language was very frustrated very angry but then seemed to be saying to the players Pastor Holland, like, Pastor like, Holland, Pastor Holland. I don't know if Pep's actually. I don't know if that is an instruction he's given his City <laughs> players this season. Um, but he was kind of saying to them, or seemed to be saying to them, it's still a good result, like head up or yeah. or, or whatever. But then, in typical Pep Guardiola fashion, the the post match was very weird and he was asked if he was frustrated and he said it was like the greatest performance of all time or something and these weren't fr- friendly matches and how could City be expected to win 3-4-0 and four nil? Um, he's just he, God, he's just so weird and I can't figure out yeah. I, I I have never spoken to Pep Guardiola and to be honest I never want to speak to him just just act like a human for goodness well, sake well we've I just got a can't surprise for you Graham coming on the podcast now <laughs> oh wow Pep hi I, I've referenced Paul F. Tompkins joke about Daniel Day-Lewis on this show like at least twice Graham do you feel like there's similar energy there where if you were in a room with Daniel Day-Lewis or Pep Guardiola would you be like are you gonna punch me or are we gonna like have an amicable conversation I don't know what you are I don't know what this is gonna be well, the thing with Daniel Day-Lewis is he's he's like a, me- a method actor, right? I've got yeah. the, same, the right guy. I, um, I, I, I don't know if I've ever listened to Daniel Day-Lewis and got a sense of who he who he actually is. That's a good uh, I, I guess that's similar to Pep Guardiola. <laughs> well, he's, he's, I, I, yeah. I, the thing is with Pep is I do have a sense of who he is. He's weird. That's who Pep Guardiola <laughs> is. Yeah, I think the intensity from both of them is what's connecting them in my mind. Uh, the interview I saw with him, he said, he claimed to have been telling the players... That or like that, he felt that after at full time, the sense on the bench and from what he could see of the players was that there was a feeling of dejection that they should have won this game. This was a bad performance. This was a bad result. Uh, and he was saying that from his time in the Bundesliga managing Bayern Munich, that Leipzig is a difficult place to go. They are a difficult team. That they are going to be more physical. They are going to run more. They're going to make the game difficult. They knew that going in. And so, in his opinion, coming away. Uh, with yeah. a one-to-one draw and then taking it home was a good result. So that but seems to be what is, he was saying to the players. I just don't think that's actually what he believes, which is the, yeah, the flip that's, side that's, to that's, it. Exactly. It's yeah, that, so the thing is, yeah. he, in his questioning, sorry to jump in, Taylor, but in, in his questioning, unprompted, he's he's like hitting back at the suggestion yeah. that it's a bad result. And it's like, nobody said it was a bad result. Do you think it's a bad result? Yeah. Like kind of telling on yourself a little bit with with, with his body language and his uh, post-match reaction. He also had uh, Chick-fil-A service member vibes when they asked him about that hand ball and he just clicked into like i i did not see it and i cannot say anything about it like i am not getting fined it seemed to be what he was going for there i do think he was probably pretty frustrated by this performance because it did feel like the the gates opened up for that Riyad Mahrez goal that that would have been a howler unto itself if we didn't have two ridiculous ones in the in the uh Real Madrid Liverpool game uh but that they then don't really find a way to make it two goals or three goals. It did seem like in that first half, it could have been comfortably Man City. I thought that's the way it was going. I sort of tuned out for about 10 minutes, just assuming, like, oh, here we go. We've been here before. This will be 2-0 at halftime, 3-0 final. This fixture's over. And then Leipzig came out and really took the game to Man City. And I think there was some complacency there that probably Pep was frustrated by. Maybe he could have done more to change that. But I think it's a credit to Leipzig that they find a way back into this game, that they make some uh, positive adjustments and play their their style of, of play and make something happen. I don't have as much patience for the... Erling Holland narrative. He doesn't get the ball a ton. Ryan, not even what you're doing, but like the the post-match conversation for CBS was all about like, is Holland the problem? And then while they were doing that, they were acknowledging, like, sure, he scored 105 goals in the Premier League already, but is he a problem for Man City? And it's like, you can't do that. You can't say both of those things simultaneously. You can talk about how he makes them change their game and how they could better get him involved or how they could build their game better around him. But the idea that I, it just felt like a manufacturer Manufactured narrative because they didn't have much else to say about a one-to-one draw between Man City and Leipzig. Yeah, I mean, I've leaned heavily on the Pastor Harlan thing so far, Taylor. But I think the difference for me was the lack of Kevin De Bruyne, who yeah, seems to for pick sure. him out on a for regular sure. basis. And without De Bruyne in this team, we had this. Uh, it's, it's an odd, Pep's uh, as he is wont to do. Had, uh, put out some odd formations. We had Carl Walker push right up on the, with the back three. We had Mares tucked in. Gundogan as a number ten, sure, uh, and Bernardo Silva a bit further back. So. 
it all seems like he he's jigged, he's he's moved the jigsaw pieces around quite a lot, and the result has cut off Haaland even more. If that makes sense, because it's not the De Bruyne to to make the pass through to him. I don't know, Ryan. I I I don't know that I can figure out Manchester City at the moment. You're talking about the shape. It's the same shape we've seen them use a whole bunch recently. The people are in different spots. Like it kind of feels to me when I watch this team, like we're watching the max idea of, of total football. You know, Bernardo Silva is at left back one week. The next week, he's at the number six. Also in this game, he's dropping between the center backs. Gundogan is the number six in the Champions League final two years ago. Now he's playing as a number 10. Like, I, th- this team is moving in so many different ways. The, the, the part I can't really figure out is how have we not ripped Pep for not making any subs yet? Like, everybody, I feel like <laughs> we, we all wait on bated breath for Pep to do something weird as a coach, tactically. And and this is the time, right? Like they, there's oh, wow. a winnable game out here, and he's not making any changes at all. I I thought for sure we were going to spend at least 15 minutes talking about that. Uh, not a great performance from City. City are not at their best right now. Leipzig, credit to them. Grim, you mentioned the halftime change. I thought adding Henriks into this game was a really smart move by Marco Rosa. It gave them more of an ability to punish City. It gave them more control of the game. And, and Pet from his comments after the match about the subs basically said, yeah, we didn't want to change because we felt like we were getting in, in more control after Guardiola equalizes. And so he felt like, you know, if we have control of the game and we have the ball, Leipzig are less of a threat in transition. Ooh, I and really and I can, see that. <laughs> I, oh, I was just about to say, I can totally see that line of reasoning. So, I mean, Ryan, to, to go all the way back to the Holland thing, yeah, it is a problem to go back to Taylor's thing, just dump all my thoughts in from this game. I actually yeah. think it's totally fair to question if Holland's the problem, even though he scores all the goals. Like, if you have one player that scores all the goals and your team is bad, that, that feels like... Sort of a, a problem. So I, I, I don't really know what to make of Manchester City Are right now. Bad, I think though? they will win the second leg. And I they're not as good as they've been, right? I think they will win the second leg. And I think probably we won't think about this game much in the future. Yeah, that's that's probably the most fair take. Joe, I didn't realize they didn't make a single substitution. You've now blown my mind. Uh, that, that, that That's good analysis by you. I... I don't know what did Pep forget he was allowed to make subs. I'm I now think, fascinated um, by this one. He really hates Julian Alvarez. I think is the uh, <laughs> thing. He, he maybe he caught him talking to Cancelo or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I can figure. My only other thought from this game was how much do we think Guardiola is going to cost uh, when either Man City or Chelsea buy him in the summer? Oh, Chelsea billion. are paying at least two hundred million for him. <laughs> Bargain, fun, bargain times. prices. All right. uh, these these uh, these games will continue in three weeks' time. One more game to talk about in Milan 1, Porto nil. Romelu Lukaku with a goal assisted by Romelu Lukaku. Uh, Porto <laughs> finishing with uh, 10 men in this one. Graham, what did we make of this uh, impressive performance? What well, was it? Actually, it wasn't impressive. I didn't think either side was super impressive no. in this game. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I know Porto ended up losing this and, and going down to 10 men with Otavio, the Tavio red card, uh, similar to Eintracht Frankfurt, certainly didn't help them. But I thought some of the interchange from them in the attack was really nice. Uh, Taremi was was involved in a lot. Um, I thought when they got into the box, there was some nice, quick and one-two touch passing sort of move. So... I didn't think they either team played well, but equally I didn't. I I, I don't think Porto played all that badly. Um, and towards the end, certainly Inter were edging it. There was a number of really good saves in this game. So two good goalkeepers, of course, in Diego Costa and and uh, Andrea Nana. There was a save from a Chalonoglu shot by Costa in the first twenty minutes, which was really good. Another one from Onana from uh, Grulich. There was a double save in particular from Onana in the second half from Taremi, which looked like being for all the world. Uh, a Porto goal, and I guess towards the end, Inter might have felt, I know that was a Porto chance, but towards the end, Inter might have felt a little bit aggrieved that one of their opportunities hadn't gone in, and certainly when Lukaku heads that, the, the chance the goal eventually comes from uh, off the post, he then sticks away the rebound. It was nice to see Lukaku scoring again. He's he's had such a tough time with injury and, and, and fitness, so it was a nice reminder of the player that he can be for Inter. I don't think Inter... Um, I mean, he's only really just come back into that team, but I don't think they're really playing to his strengths in the way that Conte's team did. I mean, even the goal he scored comes from a cross, which I know Lukaku can make something of and you can hit him with crosses. But for me, he has a he's primarily a transition player. That's where he's most dangerous. So he's having to adapt to a team who do like to do more to control games under Inzaghi. Uh, but nonetheless, he's he can be one of the best in his position and when he's fit and firing anyway. And if, Inter can get him back to anywhere close to his best. That is a thing that really raises the the ceiling of this team. 
that um, Diogo Costa save you mentioned, Graham, it kind of came off his bicep, didn't it? it? It was maybe a few less reps in the gym, he wouldn't have got to that one. But <laughs> my question for you, did he know about that? It was, seemed so quick and so reactionary. It looks amazing, but did he have a clue what was happening there? Um, his bicep knew about it. I'm not sure if he <laughs> knew anything about it. Yeah, maybe a skinnier goalkeeper. Maybe Thibaut Courtois doesn't make that save. Uh, maybe Diogo Costa hitting the gym, as you say. Maybe, maybe that's the difference. Maybe so. Uh, Joe, anything to say about this game? Do we see any of these teams going deeper in this contest? Obviously, one of them will, a little bit deeper. Yeah, not not really. Probably not beyond the next stage. That's kind of my main takeaway from this game. I wasn't particularly grabbed by it. I think Inter are fun to watch, and as dictator of Porto, I will always have a spot, a soft spot for them. But mm-hmm. I, I'm just not sure I see it with either one of these teams right now. I didn't see it in this game. I, I've got a hard time seeing one of them progressing much further. Wonderful stuff. Taylor, any more to say on this game before we leave you in your rectangular box of mystery? Yeah, I think one day I would like Diego Costa, Douglas Costa, and Diogo Costa to all be on one team together so I can have no idea who's doing what and never get it right. Uh, we could, if they had a band, we could call them DeCostas. Hey, that's good stuff by you, Ryan. <laughs> hey, oh, thank you very much. What I'm here um, for. My, I do have one question for either Graham or Joe. I suspect Joe will detest this question, so I'm going to ask him. Uh, there was also <laughs> some speculation on the CBS broadcast that Chelsea might need a striker like Romelu Lukaku and that maybe he should go back to Chelsea and Graham Potter and see what happens. Joe, your thoughts on that one, or would you rather see him stay with Inter? Or maybe go to Porto since you're the dictator there. Whatever you want. I'd love to see him in Porto. I, I'm i fine with the idea that Chelsea might need a number nine. I think Kai Havertz is, is good, but clearly something isn't working there, right? So I, I think I'm not sure if throwing more money at the wall yeah. and making even more personal moves is the right thing to do. But at this point, I mean, do any of us understand fully what's wrong with Chelsea or fully how to fix them? I, I don't. Maybe Lukaku is the guy who unlocks everything. Maybe he's not. Maybe there's a thousand different maybes surrounding Chelsea right now. So I, I'm not sure that Lukaku is the quick fix, but I'm not... I'm not sure there is a quick fix, or maybe it'll be fixed tomorrow. There is a fix. They just go spend some more. That's all. Oh, that. Yep. Yeah. That's what it is. Thanks. There you go. Or Chick Fil A. All right. Maybe it's Chick Fil A. <laughs> Chick Fil A. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Champions League review. Chick Fil A mentioned, despite not being a sponsor. Uh, Graham Ruthven, thank you very much for your contributions on this here continental pod. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Joe Lowry, pleasure as always. Yeah, right back at you, Ryan. Taylor Rockwell, thank you for your services, as always, my good man. <laughs> you are welcome, my friend. I don't think Joe sounded entirely sincere with that right back at you. <laughs> no. <laughs> eh, right back at you. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Love you, Ryan. All right, then. I, I just left an awkward pause there um, for no particular reason. But listen, thank you very much for joining us on this intrepid journey. We'll be back on the feed very shortly with our big thing. But for now, Bye. bye. 